0: I'm Allie Hill and welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. Kemi Nekvapil is a longtime friend of the Standout Life podcast. I've always wanted to say that. Her and I share a conversation back in episode 44 of this podcast, and in that she shares some of her background story. So if you're interested in that, please make sure you go back and listen to that episode. As a black child raised by five sets of white foster parents in England, some incredibly loving and some, well, not so much. She always felt that she had to prove her worth. In this conversation, we shift more into Kemi's message and her impactful new book, simply, but also courageously titled, Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. Don't you just love that tagline? And I knew I had to sit down with Kemi and chat again. We talked about what women are apologising for, how we can harness and step into our power and the power of joy and delight, which actually can sometimes be the hardest thing to give ourselves permission to feel. Kemi is a professionally credentialed coach and so if you want to find out more about Kemi's work, then make sure that you connect and reach out with her. And if nothing else, read this book, Power. It will have you thinking differently about what power is and how you can step in and own your power. But for now, allow the sheer joy to come through the airwaves to you from the always incredible Kemi Nekvapil. Kemi, it is such a delight to be reconnecting with you. It's been way too long and I am longing to be able to do it face to face, but this is the second best uh, option
1: Yep, it is lovely to be here with you again, Ali. Thank you for having me.
0: Tell me, what's the weather like in uh, in Melbourne and where you are at the moment?
1: Well, I am in Melbourne on the land of the Wurundjeri, and it is stunning autumn day in Melbourne today. It's so hard. I think everyone in Melbourne decides what their favourite season is until the next season comes. And then you realise, oh, that's why I've chosen a place that has distinct seasons, because I get the joy out of each of these individual seasons. So beautiful autumnal blue bright skies, the sun is shining through and there are browns and yellows and oranges and reds and greens everywhere you turn.
0: I love those colours, and as you—I mm. mean, as you know—growing up in the UK, that distinct kind of season is is so powerful. But there's something about autumn that really kind of helps to gather us in to to calm things down. But the colour, the vibrancy is is really beautiful as well. I live on the Gold Coast, so we don't we have <laughs> we, we don't have seasons. <laughs> so uh, well, um, I'm fault. craving it a little bit. <laughs>
1: And, you know, what's interesting is what's so beautiful, I think, in that we are creatures of nature, that there is a different light in autumn and there is a different energy. And, you know, I think about autumn in the UK, it's the time that the squirrels are gathering everything they need to to hibernate. And I think we miss that as humans. I am definitely stepping more and more into honouring the seasons as a way to honour myself. You know, that this is kind of the last hurrah in terms of, creating and and bringing new things to the fore before that winter where we can ground and reflect and rest. So yeah, it's beautiful here right now.
0: Oh, it's a lovely, lovely way to, to honour it and as many people listening hopefully know that you and I, we've interviewed before on this podcast uh, back in, I had a look and it was episode number 44 so it was quite a couple of years ago now but we had the chance in that conversation to hear a lot about your your upbringing and a lot of your kind of background story. so we're not going to use this time today to dive into that because I think we we covered that so beautifully, so I'm going to direct people back to that conversation. But when you talk about seasons, sometimes it is the the seasons throughout the year, but it's also the seasons in terms of the years that we are in. We've had a strange couple of years, a different couple of years with COVID coming into 2022. And we're chatting here at the start of May of 2022. What was it like for you coming into, into this year to kind of ground yourself into this space what was your kind of, whether you had intentions or just a bit of a, like, how, how did you feel coming, you know, when that flipped over from 2021? Because we've made plans in the last couple of years and those plans have been thrown out the door. Yes. <laughs> Talk yes. to me about the start of this year for you.
1: Well, I did at the start of this year what I have done at the start of every year, I think for the last seven years, which is where my husband and our two children, and I now have a 16 year old and an 18 year old. So I'm in that chapter of parenting. They go away for a week and I stay home and I go on a big juice fast. I do yoga every day. I journal. I walk with no destination. I stop and stare at ants on the, I just, I'm just present to wherever I am. And I read what, and I watch documentaries or movies that I am pulled to from that energy of this kind of resting. Like I trust that intuition of what do I need to see? What do I need to read? And I just do it and I actually went back to Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way and I know that Julia Cameron has written 40 other books but to be honest I don't think she needs to write any like it's just all in that it's incredible what And a I legacy. think I
0: yeah I think I've got 3 copies of The Artist's Way and not a single copy of The Other Book
1: Yes there you go like it's amazing so I didn't go through it all but I I read through it all but I didn't do the processes And what I realised from that book and the other book I read every two years is The Alchemist. So that's what I read in January. I read Paul Coelho's The Alchemist and I read The Artist's Way. And one thing that was really clear for me in 2022 was that I wanted to reacquaint myself with magic and abundance and joy because I realised in the surviving of the previous two years, it's hard to survive and have the energy for magic and abundance and even though I did have joy, I would definitely say so I believe in magic. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in fostering and nourishing a kind of energy that attracts a certain energy back and that osmosis that goes back and forth. And I realized that I'd lost that because I'd been surviving for two years, locked in the house with my family, as many of us did. Um, and being an introvert, that's like that's full on. Because like, why are there still people here in every room in my space <laughs> yeah can you not go somewhere oh no you can't okay um <laughs> so yeah that was a thing for me the energy that started of 2022 is that i really really want to reacquaint myself with this idea of magic and the beauties of the universe
0: Practically, what did that look like for you? Because I, I agree, I mean, one of my books that I return to is Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic and I know mm-hmm. you've had the opportunity to, to interview and to spend time with the amazing Liz Gilbert and her concept around magic mm. is, is beautiful. Practically, that reconnection to magic mm. at the end or, you know, th- through times of survival, what does that look like for you?
1: For me, it is writing. So, you know, I think most of the listeners will understand the idea of gratitude writing or the writing of affirmations and and really kind of every day just writing down the energy that you want around you, you know. So I am able and willing to create and receive magic. Now, and this is a thing, this is a mindset thing because For me, I live in Melbourne, so there are trams. And, you know, if I walk to the tram stop and the tram arrives just at the moment that I get there, I'm like, oh, see, magic everywhere, magic everywhere. Some people wouldn't even register that at all. It's just kind of a coincidence. Oh, thank goodness the tram's here. But I choose that that is the magic. And then I'm sitting next to someone who maybe has the same pair of shoes as I do. And I think, oh, that could be an invitation to talk to that person. You know, so then I will talk to that person and that will lead into that beautiful energy that strangers can have when they just choose to be vulnerable and to connect with each other. So it's not so much that, you know, oh, look, there's a wizard over there. Magic, you know, it's not so much that it is a we have to create it from ourselves. We have to be willing to take the time to actually decide that it's there. And then how do we nourish it and nurture it?
0: It is that consciousness, it is taking the time, noticing, nourishing and nurturing. They're really beautiful intentions for the year ahead. What, have they, what surprises have they given you now that we're kind of nearly five months into, into the year?
1: <laughs> well, I feel um, because I had a major book tour in March for my latest book, just the fact that I got every single event, everything happened, that felt like magic you know, mm. even though I had psychosomatic COVID every single day, and I've spoken to a few people about this now, where it's kind of something important's coming up or something's fun, and suddenly you're like, <clears throat> <clears throat> um, "Is that a tickle? Is that real?" So that felt like magic. The people that I met felt like magic. Some just, just I think there's quite a lot of us are now starting to believe in the energy that 2022 has opened up. Not for everyone, of course. We're all in very different circumstances, but for those of us. That are feeling like okay 2022 does have a momentum to it and i'm allowed to allow myself to be excited about things you know i am feeling i said to my my children last night i feel like i'm ready to travel overseas now you know like i i have a feeling that that's now what i want to do not necessarily this year but as opposed to it's not going to happen to maybe i can or i'm not quite sure yet. I'm now feeling that that is something that I want to put into my calendar for next year. So, and once again, that will be magical to get on a plane and go overseas because we haven't been able to do that. So it is, it's a conscious thing. We can't find magic or experience magic if we're busy all the time and our calendar is completely blocked out with other people's needs and wants from us. We have to be willing to take the time for ourselves to explore it and allow it.
0: And I think that... That almost speaks to the flip side of the same coin where, you know, we are having this sense of things are starting to open up or even that sense of I might travel overseas again at some point, which can also come with the fear, I'll use that word, of what if my time gets busy again? What if it gets Mm. filled up with all of those other things and I haven't had a chance to have a say at where my time goes, where I'm going to to put things. Is that something you've noticed from conversations from people or a bit of that kind of fear or concern that actually life might go back to usual, but maybe usual was a bit busy and a bit full on?
1: It's interesting because when I hear you say it like that, what it how that lands for me, it's as if people don't have a say in how busy their life gets, as if it is outside of their realm of control. And one thing that we do have control of is how busy our life gets. It doesn't mean it's easy, it's not easy necessarily. But you know, one of the things that most of us got to kind of check in with in terms of COVID was ah, you know, this idea of instead of getting back to normal, what parts of normal is it that you're wanting to get back to? And what are the ch- internal or external changes that you can make to have your life feel more like your own? You know, as a coach, I'm always having conversations around where people believe they have a say in how their life is going and where they think it belongs to other people. And it is ultimately up to us as individuals. It doesn't mean, as I said, it is confronting. It is a challenging concept to grasp sometimes because then it means we have to take full responsibility either way. But this idea that busy is a default, I question that.
0: We can challenge that for ourselves. Yeah. I definitely want to talk to you about your book, your latest book, which is called Power, and it is an absolute powerhouse of a document. Congratulations for for stepping into the conversations, for stepping into the concept of power. It's not an easy one to navigate, and you've you've done it with consciousness, you've done it with celebration, but you also haven't shied away from the hard side of power in this book. And the tagline is a woman's guide to living and leading without apology. And I absolutely love it when you talk about your intention to have magic and joy, knowing that this book was coming out in March. This is a, you know, it's a powerful year and a powerful book that you've kind of brought to life. Who did you write this book for?
1: Well, firstly, thank you for that beautiful response to the book. It means a lot coming from you, so thank you. I know you're very conscious of the words that you choose. Who did I write the book for? Don't they say the authors write the book for themselves? We write what we need, we write what we've learned and what we've experienced. So I would definitely say that, that I have written it for myself at this point and stage in my life. And I have written it for many, many other women that feel or have had feelings of powerlessness in our lives either due to societal expectations due to familial expectations cultural expectations the systems expectations so many systems have been created for women to apologize for our being in various ways and so what I what I believe is that this book is I love the way you use the word document That this book is a documentation of what women have had to live but also what we get to live as individuals but coming together as a community as well that we do have power the oxford dictionary definition of the word power is the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way which means that we can redefine it
0: How did you – and you've kind of – you touched on we write the book that we as authors need to navigate through ourselves. Very, very different concept, but if I relate it to my own experience having written a book called Stand Out, I I got confronted with the fact that I had to – stand out (laughs) in writing that book in encouraging and it was mostly women encouraging women to step into who they want to be how did you navigate that writing about power and I guess the internal wrestle for yourself wrestle might not be the right word but in learning in understanding and in stepping into power as you were writing it how how did that process go for yourself
1: yeah, it's, it's it's good because this book kind of will walk alongside me forever. And one thing that I have always wanted to do as a human being and as a coach is to be someone that walks my talk, to have my own version of integrity and what that looks like and feels like. So when I started writing the book, it was very important to me that I partnered with people that were not going to make... not When I say make me feel powerless... Actually, no, I do mean make me feel powerless because that's what I talk about in the book, that there are certain aspects of being a woman and definitely aspects of being a black woman where we are made to feel powerless often. And in me writing the book, it was saying, I'm going to live in this world as a black woman without apology. And when I then partnered with my publisher, One of the conversations I had with them was, how are you going to look after me as a black woman navigating majority white spaces? I said the same of my agent. Now, even five years ago, there is no way I would ever have asked those questions. I would have just hoped for the best, that it would be okay, And maybe if something came up, they may or may not be there for me. But me standing in my power was owning, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is what I know to be true when women, or especially women of colour, or women that identify differently stand in public spaces, this is what I know and this is what I own can happen, how are you going to look after me? Because I knew that I couldn't write the book with partnership with anyone that wasn't willing to confront the reality of the world that we live in. And you know, and it's been incredible, you know, the relationship that I've had with my agent and with my publisher. I think because I stood in my power and asked those questions and it then meant that we were on the same page and that we could, you know, create this book together in a really powerful and meaningful way.
0: That's really strong and encouraging that invitation that we get to do it together, that you weren't Mm. the author on your own. As a representative, but, but that collaboration is really important. I imagine that was, yeah, probably a small conversation, but a really, really mm. key one, as, as you say, a shift and change for you. How did they How did they come to that conversation? Obviously well, because you partnered yeah, with them. Well.
1: <laughs> yeah, very well. Yeah, very well. And part of the power, so they both, So you know, for those listeners that maybe don't know how the book process works and the publishing process works, so I self-published my first two books and then and my publisher now is penguin and they offered to also publish my second book the gift of asking and penguin were great in answering that they first of all just shared with me the initiatives that they have within their organization around diversity and inclusion around what's worked what hasn't worked and that's fine you know a lot of corporations that are trying to be conscious do have those things but to be honest the thing that got it for me was them saying you are going to lead us we will believe anything that you tell us about your experience in certain spaces Um, we will offer you things in terms so that you feel not only this idea of diversity but real inclusion and that we are open to anything that you need to bring to the table. My agent said something similar of, you know, she said, I'm a white woman in this white world. I will believe anything you say as a black woman in this world, and I will support and listen and we will have the challenging conversations that we need to have so that we can get this book out in the world, you know, in a way that honors who you are and what it is that you're sharing. So for me, the power was actually in them owning they didn't have all the answers. You know, that there wasn't that that they were vulnerable enough to say, We don't have all the answers, but we can promise you that we've got your back and we will listen to you. And that was incredibly powerful for me because now we have this beautiful relationship of equality. And I think if I'd have gone for a traditional publisher, 10 years ago or something like that, it would very much have been that they had the power, this kind of, as Brene Brown talks about, the power over, and that I would be somehow prostrating myself to them, incredibly grateful, incredibly thankful that they were deemed to work with me, therefore creating an inequality in the power balance in the beginning. But it has been one, or we go back to the word joy, of absolute joy. It has been such a joy to work with both of these particular, um, well, with my agent and with Penguin
0: beautiful invitation to listen and i love that statement that i will believe anything that you say and then we can work work from there as well the book's been out for a couple of months now and as you say you've had the opportunity to tour with it and, and i know you've been having huge amounts of conversations from a media pr you know podcasting as well as individuals and women who have read the book giving you feedback what what is resonating with people who are reading the book? What are you hearing most from your audience?
1: Well, I'll be honest. The, the thing I'm hearing the most is thank you for writing this book. That is, that is the comment that is going through most of the messages that I'm getting. And then where it changes is women of colour or women that identify differently, whether it's in terms of their orientation their identification sexuality race whatever it is they are definitely feeling that they are being spoken to in this book for some of the systems and the oppressions that they have had to experience and witness so that is definitely coming from 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 that point and then i've actually had women that identify as angler women because i speak to different women through the book You know, I sort of say in one of the chapters to my black, brown, and white sisters, and I say to my brown and black sisters, this is what I have to say to you, and to my white sisters, this is what I have to say to you. And I had a beautiful message, uh, well, one of many, but a beautiful message from a woman the other day who said to me, I, as an Anglo woman reading this book, was able to inhale what you were saying in a way that actually resonated with me from a place of care and compassion. How were you able to speak to me in a way that didn't make me put up my guard or feel like I had to defend myself, or that you were telling me that my being here was wrong? And my response to her, as any readers that you know, any listeners that have um listened to the previous podcast, I said, because I was raised in five white foster families. My first experience of being deeply loved was by white women. So of course, I have the same level of regard for people that identify as white or Anglo, as I do for women of colour. I said, that is part of what I get to bring to the world, that I can speak to different groups of people because of owning who I am and owning my story up until this point.
0: And that's a beautiful magic. As I said, it is an invitation to the things that are hard, but also to meeting people where they are at, regardless of race, identification background it's mm. acknowledging that as you said there are systems and structures that are set up where people aren't invited mm. they're not made to feel comfortable but the way you bring this is an invitation regardless of where you where you stand.
1: Yeah and it was you know to be honest it's a big task you know at some points when I was writing the book I was like are you trying to capture too many things are you trying to speak to too many, women does that mean actually it's not going to hit with any of them but with the feedback I'm getting I'm realized it is hitting so many women on different ways I had a a woman and what I do know what I love Ali as well what's really interesting is that so many people are emailing me with their identifiers so I had someone um dm me the other day as a cisgendered white woman who is 63 so that was her opening you know then I had as a Muslim woman white appearing wearing a hijab this is my and i was just like this is gold this is the magic this is the magic um a woman young woman indian woman doctor medical doctor you know i know i've worked with quite a few female doctors in my person you know in my coaching practice and how they struggle in the medical industry because of the patriarchy that's just in woven into the fabric of that industry so then imagine being a woman of color within that industry and her just saying that she's never ever been able to she's never ever been able to celebrate her medical achievements, her PhD, because her constant quest as a woman of colour in a white world was, if I have this, then I'll be worthy. If I do this, then I'll be worthy. If I do this. And she had never noticed that until she read the book and realize this is why I've never found joy in any of my professions because the whole time I was trying to be seen as a valid human being and I chose medicine because I thought that would make me a valid human being you know so it's just these little these little kind of light bulbs that are going off some are incredibly confronting some are just joyous you know because I talk about every chapter is the power of something so whether it's the power of privilege whether it's the power of fun whether it's the power of equality or the power of delight that all of these ways are ways that we can give away our power as women, but they're also the beautiful ways that we can build up our power and own our power in various ways.
0: The invitation back to those is, as you say, we can own it, we can take it back. i got goosebumps thinking about that medical recognition. Like that is, that's incredible to be able and to acknowledge who we are.
1: Yeah, and that we just do it in so many ways, you know. It's, it's such an opportunity for us as women to really look at how we give our power away and why we give it away some of it is individual but we can't we can't separate that from patriarchy and misogyny and sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia we can't separate it so then when we give ourselves this space and that's why you know because i'm a coach there are processes through the book that we actually can take the time to look at wow what is my relationship with this particular form of power or Do I have the time to bring delight into my life? When I talk about the power of responsibility and that question you asked at the beginning around busyness and people feeling like, oh, what if I get busy again? And and we give our power away when we think that our busyness is not about the boundaries we do or do not have, you know, that we have put in place or have not put in place. And so as women, when we're giving our power away, we give it away strategically as well. I have been in situations as a woman or as a woman of color, I know, I need to be small. I need to stand back. I need to not have an opinion. The only way for me to feel safe in this space or be allowed in this space is to minimize who I am and what I have to bring. We do that because we're smart. The invitation of the book is what if we don't do that anymore? And what if we don't allow each other to do that anymore? You know, in the way that you wrote your book, if we are inviting each other, what would happen if you did own your voice? what would happen if you did stand out and you knew you weren't alone that actually we are there behind you backing you the whole way because we build power together
0: i know you know this and I, that's what was um, you know is going through my mind as you were saying that was that so much of that power giving away is because we're smart is because that is the that is the survival tactic which has allowed us to get to where we are right now and sometimes sharing that voice or choosing another way means that we need different supports. We need different ways to feel like we can survive and have a presence. But to acknowledge that we've done it because we are smart and clever, but we don't have to put up with that anymore.
1: Yeah, that we don't have to put up with it anymore, especially those of us that live in uh, – yeah, and that's the thing, actually – for those of us that live in countries where we have resources, where there are laws that call out particular behaviours, and you know, I can even question that, particular behaviours of particular people within, depending on where their realm is, where they operate and what spaces they operate in. But I think that most of us could say that you know we have structures and systems in place where we do get to step into power in a way that maybe our female sisters and leaders in other countries do not have. And so how do we do it for ourselves so that we then can create space to stand alongside them when they decide to step into theirs or in the ways that they're choosing to? because you know I like this idea and what I talk about in the book is that power is this abundant resource that if you have it if I have it I can give it to you and if you have it you can give it to somebody else and if they have it they can give it as opposed to what I think most of us have grown up with male or female this as Brene Brown talks about so beautifully power over where power is this limited resource that if I have it you can't have it and I will do anything I can to make sure you can't have it. And that is why it was a challenge to call the book. Actually, it wasn't a challenge. As soon as the word came to me, it scared the life out of me, the title of the book, because my first inner sort of um, societal conditioning was who do you think you are to write a book about power? So I had to look at, oh, isn't that interesting? And I knew as a creative that's exactly why you need to be the one to write the book about power because it's come to you. It's not a coincidence. That is big magic, (laughs) you know? Oh, it is big
0: magic. And this discomfort is exactly
1: why you need to call it power. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're saying. It's for you to stand out. It's like, oh no, so now I have to, you know? And so, you know, I love this idea that we can claim back what power actually means. It means the capacity to do something in a particular way and then we get to choose who am I and what do I want to do and how do I want to do it without apologising?
0: And not only is this book an invitation, but the way that you do it, the fact that you are a coach and have been a coach for so long is woven throughout this. So I'm not surprised that you are getting the feedback that you have. One of the magics or one of the reasons why this is is such a powerful book is the way that you pull out the acronym of the word power and you highlight in that sense and I'm going to walk through what they are and then I'm going to we're going to touch on a couple of these the powers that you touch on but the first one is presence so the p in power is around presence we need to understand where we are right now and how powerful that is ownership W is wisdom. And I, I think you could, you've got five other books you could write just on that one alone. <laughs> e for equality, where you talk about race and worth and diversity and your own, your own blackness and your own experience, and then R for responsibility. So you give a roadmap, a pathway to kind of step through not only the invitation, but what am I going to do and how can we step through that? If I come back to presence, and particularly you touch on the power of delight, before we hit record, we were talking about joy and delight and how sometimes actually it can be the hardest area. Mm. What have you learnt, or what's the invitation here for women when we talk about the power of delight?
1: Oh, and this is the first thing that comes to mind for me is to not apologise for it. I... I love the word delight and it for me it's about we have to be present. It's, it's a little bit like what I was saying about magic, magic and delight could some people could define them as exactly the same things. It's hard to find delight if we don't give ourselves time to breathe. It's hard to find delight if we don't stop. It's hard to find delight if we have no idea what delights us. When we fall into this idea as women that our main role is to be available for other people, it's hard for us to touch what we need to be available for us so that we can show up in the way that we want to show up. Delight can feel like this idea of, oh, I will do all the things I have to do and all the things I need to do, and then I will do the thing that I want to do. I invite everyone to flip it. Do the thing you want to do first, and then do the thing that you have to do. Because what we do then is that we get to show up, especially those of us that consider ourselves to be of service to other humans, to other beings, What we do then is that we fill ourselves up with a delight, with joy, with fulfillment for our own selves and we nourish our own selves so that when we're of service to others, it brings more delight. It fulfills us more. It fills us up. If we flip it the other way, that we're always of service to others and then we give to ourselves, generally what people experience is exhaustion, overwhelm, disconnection and resentment. And there's no delight in any of those words I don't believe that delight is a nice to have it is something we need within we're allowed to be delighted we are allowed to give delight and we're allowed to experience it
0: how do we deal with a sense of yeah but that's selfish and I think for women that can be a bit of a societal thing mm-hmm. this sense of yes and you can do mm-hmm. that but you can do it once a month and that's all like you get one that's right you get. That's you <laughs> um get. Yep. that's all you get and sometimes even when we have arrived at what you've described is that delight and and flipping it and doing that first we can arrive at that but sometimes we can have people around us say oh you know but you can't really that that is kind of selfish
1: yeah
0: how do we deal with that
1: well, I, had, I have like four different things that just came to mind there. One was if we were in a coaching session, I would ask you, what is the impact on you of believing that delight is selfish? Like, what is the impact on you? When it comes to what other people say, I think that's the without apology bit. You know, I would say to people, because I know who I am, trust me, I'm a n- much, much nicer person when I have done the things that make me feel good. Like, trust me, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You you don't wanna be around me if I'm exhausted, overwhelmed, and resentful. Um, and that's part of the, I believe that's part of the power over, to be honest, that if a woman does something for herself, that it is selfish. That's part of the system. That's, you know, we should be constantly moving and going and serving and available and constantly saying yes and have no boundaries because that means we're greedy and we're selfish. That is part of the system. And part of breaking out of this idea, and I think we speak about this in the other interview, but I speak a lot about being a good girl, is moving from being a good girl into being a fully self-expressed woman. Not an easy journey, because along the way, part of our internalized patriarchy is saying, who do you think you are? You don't deserve this. That is selfish that is greedy. What about the other people? So it's not a quick fix. It's once again, it's being present enough to realize, Oh, I believe certain things. And in believing that it means that I am taking away from myself, some of the most beautiful things that I need for myself to show up.
0: And that I'm a better person <laughs> yeah. for better person, everyone, better yes. person,
1: better parent, better leader, better friend, better everything
0: talk about the power of boundaries and i think that kind of goes goes together around kind of delight and fun as well and i think this is absolutely critical if there is a a secret thing i could leave on every woman's pillow (laughs) it would be (laughs) know your boundaries own them (laughs) Mm. speak them speak them often change them whenever you want yes and update them how would you invite women to live without apology around their own boundaries.
1: I love what you just said there about change them whenever we want because our boundaries change and grow as we change and grow. I also talk a lot about this idea that sometimes we don't realise a boundary has been crossed until it's crossed. You know, you have a particular feeling, anger or, you know, and you just think, I cannot believe they did that. And then we can put a lot of energy over there with them as opposed to taking that as feedback, being present and going, oh, I'm really upset that they did that, but I didn't put a boundary in place. So they did what they did, and that's what's happened, and now I get to put a boundary in place. I do believe, the same as you, that boundaries are important, but I also believe we have to work out what's important to us first. So that's what I mentioned in the power of boundaries, that it's not about this kind of power trip, this power over. If I have boundaries in place, and this is my boundary, this is my boundary, this is my boundary, it's about working out what is really important to me, and how do I have to protect what is important to me so in terms of energy you know we have a finite amount of energy doesn't matter what anyone tells you (laughs) we only have so much energy and so how do i protect my energy that means that i need to have a certain amount of hours sleep a night what are those hours of sleep what are the boundaries i need to put in place to protect my sleep i need to or want to be around people that fill me with energy and that i know feel you know filled up with energy when i'm around them so what are the boundaries i need to put around the people that don't do that we don't always have the the privilege of, you know, just saying goodbye to people in our lives, especially if they're family members, they're part of our family, they're always going to be there. But we can put boundaries around how we spend time with them, how often we spend time with them, and within what context we spend time with them, so that when we're with them, we don't feel like i wish i wasn't here i wish i wasn't it's just like okay this person doesn't necessarily make me feel my best or this i feel drained when i'm around them but i can put a boundary around how long i'm with them in terms of leadership putting boundaries around how much you spend how much time you spend with particular team members or boundaries around how you show up as a leader you know some of the leaders that i work with they so want to be they so want to move away from that idea that leadership is about you know the be all the knowing all the dictatorial I know everything that they're moving into this I want to be a human leader I want my team to be able to know that I'm there for them but sometimes there aren't boundaries in place that then they feel like I'm always with my team I don't get to get my work done you know I'm so focused on making sure that they are enjoying their work and that their mental health is good and that they want to be here and that they feel empowered That then as a leader or a CEO, I'm not getting what I need to get done. Once again, boundaries. So we need to take the time to be present to what is important. And then we need to do the very challenging, uncomfortable work of putting boundaries in place, knowing some people will be upset. And that's okay. People are upset. We get upset. We're humans. We get upset. What will happen is that most people are just very happy to know, oh, okay, I understand I can't speak to you between 11 and 1 because you're doing your deep work. Okay. You know, when we get an out of office, rarely, rarely do we get an out of office. I've never had it, but I can't speak for everyone. Do I see someone's out of office and go, I cannot believe they've gone on holiday or I cannot (laughs) believe they don't work on Wednesdays between two and five. Who do they think they are? And if I did think that, I'd be thinking, what is going on for you? That that's your response.
0: Yeah. Maybe I need to <laughs> step out yeah, of the office.
1: maybe you're because right, I you're don't right. want to work on Wednesdays. <laughs> <right>. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> you're so right. When we, when we see others' boundaries or availabilities, where it's completely okay yeah. and yet somehow we don't flip that for ourselves. With mm. the sense of responsibility, if we go to the R of the power, one of the powers of is the power of action. Mm. So I think a big part of when we think about Power is doing that internal work, our own beliefs, mindsets, and there comes a time to, to get into action and we can learn where our power is and where we can have an impact when we start to step into that. Can you talk to me a little bit about the power of action?
1: Yes, I can, and especially the power of meaningful action because if the actions that we're taking do not have meaning for us and they're not grounded... In a sense of mission or purpose or a very clear idea of why we're doing them that is when we put our head on the pillow at the end of the day we're exhausted because we've been busy because we've been acting the whole time doing things but we have no idea why and this sense of kind of I'm not fulfilled I'm frustrated I feel like I'm not getting to where I want to be so once again it's this idea of you have to take ownership of who you are trust your innate wisdom trust that you are equal as everyone else around you and take responsibility for creating the life that serves you and serves the people that you want to serve. And in doing so, we have to take action, but making sure that that action is based in some form of meaning so that you don't feel like this hamster wheel that's kind of constantly doing the same things, but not really getting anywhere. And so for me, action is exciting because otherwise it's all navel gazing. You know, otherwise we have an insight there. And I'm sure that everyone that listens to this podcast is into personal and professional development, as they would not be listening. And everyone knows the difference between having the idea, having the insight, and then implementing it in some ways. doesn't have to be perfect action. I'm not actually I have no idea what perfect action is, to be honest. <laughs> um, as a creator, we just take action and then we get feedback from the action. It needs to be tweaked here. The timing was wrong. It was perfect. You could have done more, whatever it is but that it's, it's, it is action that moves us forward because it gives us feedback about the next action. Just having the ideas is not going to shift anything.
0: Oh, there's nothing better than stepping into action and going, oh, no, that wasn't it or that didn't that bring it. me the delight. <laughs> or that actually that was and I just, mm. you know, I'm, I'm just, I, was, I was speaking to the wrong person or it opened up a door I didn't realise. So yeah, I I love that one of meaningful action. What's something that purposeful and then sitting back and reflecting on it. There's so many practical things that you talk about and touch on right at the end of the book, you talk about building power and they're really, really practical things From creating that community, having your own practice, building your own practice list, uh, the power of I am, so owning those statements of who I am and who I can stand behind. And even, as you mentioned before, the people that are sending you their descriptors, that sense of identity, who I am. A couple of years ago, and this is not meant to be flippant because it was a – it's a small thing, but it was really important – to recognise that I'm not a great cook and I know I'm talking to someone who's an ex-chef who's a foodie. I love to eat but I just didn't grow up loving cooking. It's not my natural thing. I put stuff on and I forget about it. I just get bored by it. Yep. <laughs> and to be able to own that statement and go, oh, I just, it's not me. <laughs> is um is has been liberating in a lot of ways i and in some ways i become a better cook by the fact that i recognize that's just not what i was put on the planet to do other people were i'm happy to appreciate their food
1: (laughs) yeah and like you said it's what i call the small big things you know it's huge it's actually huge as a woman to say
0: i don't like cooking and i have no being a a mum A mum of two kids had a friend who, when she's stressed, she cooks. She does a five-course meal. And I'm like – I don't know who you are but maybe I should be doing that and I should, like I've brought so many recipe books over the years Mm. believing that that's who I needed to be. Mm.
1: Shooting all over yourself, shooting all (laughs) over yourself, just just drowning in cookery books. (laughs) This is the recipe, this is (laughs) the one. (laughs) But then again this identifies as women. I've worked with quite a few women in a few years who have known and have owned and have tapped into that innate wisdom for themselves that they did not want to be mothers. Were they able to have that conversation with their partners or their family or extended family members? No. And that was one of the reasons why we were working together, that their power came from. I'm not apologizing for making the choice that actually honors who I am and what I want for my life. And so, you know, and some people say that's a bigger thing for others. It's this idea of, oh, I've been pushed into the promotion. I don't want to be promoted. I actually am really happy where I am. Connected with my teammates. This is what has me thrive. I know that if I move into that next level, it is something completely different. I'm being told I should want that. I don't want it. Taking ownership. And all the time we are given messages of what we should want, power comes from knowing what we do actually want.
0: And being able to own that and say that, I know that then allows, it gives permission for others to do the same. Well, that's completely
1: fine. Yeah, it's completely fine. And it's, you know, for me, I know that, you know, we sort of have connection online and that sort of thing. And, you know, my husband and I bought a farm at the end of 2020. Great time to buy a farm in the middle of a global pandemic. Because I knew kind of what we were spoken about before. I knew that if I want to do this work of coaching until the day I die, which I do, which I know, that I want to be in an environment that, Nourishes me and gives to me. I grew up in Kent in England. I grew up growing berries and picking berries in the summer. I grew up around kitchen gardens. I grew up around paddocks. And yet, for me to take ownership of wanting that for myself in Australia as a black woman, all the stories around what I'm allowed to have and All of this stuff was so huge for me. And I remember my husband at one point saying, are you going to sabotage this? Like, are you going to, because I could feel all of the stories coming in around what I was allowed to have. And it's been, you know, I talk about it in the power of 10 decisions in, you know, in the end of the book that one of the most powerful decisions that I have made for myself, because it wasn't really so much my husband's dream. It was very much mine. And I had to be able to own it for him to be able to step into it. And I remember him saying to me at one point in the process, he said, "Can you promise me this is the thing that we are meant to do?" You know, once we were in Melbourne and we'd gone into like lockdown, we we're about to go into lockdown number six, and so it's suddenly like we don't know how this is going to look, we don't know how the world. He said, "Can you promise me this is the thing that we are meant to do next?" And I just, I said, "Give me a minute." Actually, I had to get present. I said, "Give me a moment." I said, "Just give me a moment." And I just, I just tapped into it and I just tapped into that wisdom. And I said, I promise you, this is exactly what we're meant to do next. And one of the most powerful decisions I've ever made, to own for myself without apology.
0: And without apology, without yeah. this, oh, but you might resent me for that decision one day, yeah. so then I won't. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it doesn't matter so if he
1: resents me, he can, go, he can move off of the farm. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Like it's not. It's not a thing. But what's funny about that, I think that in me owning it, It's that now I think partly because of who I am and this idea of presence is that when I'm in the city, um, in our home in the city, I'm present, I'm here, I love it, I love everything the city has to offer. And when I'm at the farm, I love it, I'm present, I'm there. It's actually my husband, when we're in the city, he's like, when are we going to the farm? When are we going to the farm? (laughs) And it will be our forever home. We'll be moving there in about three years once our youngest has, um, has left school. So that's kind of the long term plan. And at the moment... You know, at the moment we have the, you know, it is it is a privilege to be able to have these kind of two two environments that we get to be in to nourish ourselves and our family and our communities in different ways.
0: A privilege that has come with really conscious decision and a conscious um, yeah. presence. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really I pulled out that the power of the ten decisions where you invite people to think about their most powerful decisions that they've made in their life from yeah. a Tim Ferriss podcast. And yeah, that, that one in particular from your book really, really stood out for me. What else is gonna bring you joy and magic for the year ahead?
1: Oh, well, part of the buying of the farm is because I'm stepping into becoming a organic flower farmer. And so at the moment I am planting thousands of bulbs um, in the city and at the farm, mainly in the city because the city has become my experimental garden. And there's something I was on my hands and knees in the dirt the other day, in the rain, planting these bulbs and just thinking, every time you put your hands in the soil, every time you plant a spring bulb, you are basically committing to magic and you are committing to hope because you know that in that one act, something beautiful may come. You know, the bulb could rot in the ground, all those sorts of things, and that's kind of where the science of gardening comes in. That's why bulbs are great, because generally you just stick them in and it's gonna come. So I love that idea of kind of like, this is me taking the action to then create magic in the future, a tangible form of magic. And I've now ordered so many bulbs that I will, as I did in the summer, be able to give a bouquet of flowers to most of my neighbors, um, while also experimenting what are the flowers that have the most vast life, that don't have the diseases, that I really love. So that's exciting me. I'm actually running a Dare to Lead retreat this weekend. So I'm always excited about facilitating Brené's work. And I am doing the same as you, but in a different context. I'm actually leading an incredible group of female leaders on the Larapinta Trail for seven days with the Hunger Project. So looking at Indigenous leadership and facilitating that work and their knowledge and their wisdom. And then how do we get to share and use and integrate internal wisdom and cultural wisdom in the different way? So I'm incredibly excited about that as well.
0: Uh, Sounds so powerful and what a place to kind of ground, ground yourself and cement yourself in all of those experiences. We will definitely share where people can connect with you, Kemi. I always find it an absolute privilege every time I get a chance to be in your orbit, so I've loved this conversation. As you know, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life?
1: We've mentioned it so many times, but the thing that comes to me is unapologetically. You know, that I, as a woman now in midlife, I'm going to turn 48 in July. I'm no longer going to apologise for my blackness. I'm not going to apologise for the music I love or the music I don't love. I'm not going to apologise for the food I eat or don't eat. I'm not going to apologise for the friends I do or don't have. Like, if I have 30 years left, what a gift that would be to apologise for those 30 years would be a regret that I would have on my deathbed so for me a standout life is owning who I am what I have to bring and doing it without apology to myself or
0: to others no more apology I'm up for that thank you so much Kimmy
1: thank you Ali always a delight to spend time with you